Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. DTC is absolutely critical. And I will say that it's gonna become even more critical moving forward as we're thinking about innovating, perhaps like what would work, we have to do it through DTC. And, and of course, I'll, I'll tell you that I've heard you speak enough times and heard enough brave commerce podcast enough times to know the power of 1P data. And that's one of the things that we're trying to better understand and, and trying to expand. How do we use our 1P data to accelerate the innovation scale up? and drive media efficiency. So that's the next level of DTC for us, but absolutely critical. And I just know that it's gonna to continue to be a powerhouse for us. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. boxes of Tate's cookies are in your house? Must I give you an honest answer? <laughs> I was telling Etsy, the new CEO of Tate's Bake Shop, that when I go visit my parents, literally half the pantry is the ginger gluten-free cookie. It's my father's favorite cookie. You know, it's amazing what people have been able to do with gluten-free, but Tate's in particular, you think about these cookies and they're so friggin' indulgent. And when you start going into these line extensions, you question whether or not it jeopardizes or cannibalizes or distorts from the core, or if it actually just demonstrates how on trend you are. And I think Tate does a fabulous job threading that needle. And maybe just it perhaps it just comes down to culture. A hundred percent. It feels very natural to the brand and really anything that they do. I've never felt that Tate's did something that didn't feel fully Tate's. And a big part of it, regardless of the PE acquisition and then selling to Mondelez, the brand still feels very founder-led. Yeah, you would never know that it's actually not. It feels very much independent. It feels very much its own. It's got that local feel. And I think that kind of talks to the importance of picking your post-founder leaders. It's really wild. You know, private equity doesn't get the best rap. They usually tear apart your company for operational efficiency. And then corporate America, you could get lost in the shuffle. And for whatever reason, Kathleen, the founder of Tate's, she clearly knows the company so well to be able to pick partners that will continue to elevate and scale the brand. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Rachel. You obviously are a founder before you were a founder, you worked for both startups and advanced companies. It is very hard when the founder departs to see what that looks like. Not that I'm foreshadowing Rachel Lever, Rachel's not going anywhere. I, on the other hand, of Profitero came in and I am not a founder of Profitero, but coming in and trying to figure out, you know, how you keep what works and try to figure out how to then make it grow. It's, it's a very delicate balance. And as he's saying, does this 
with such natural agility. I agree. I feel like she's approaching it with an open heart. She's saying yes. You'll hear about her thesis behind saying yes. And on that note, let's bring Essie onto the show. Essie, thank you so much for joining us. We've been trying to get you on for a while, but you've been, you know, moving and shaking. I am moving, shaking, and baking. I'm excited to be here. I like shakers and bakers. <laughs> well, let's give uh, our audience a little bit of background. First on taste, then a little bit on your very interesting career progression. Let's start with taste. So in 2018, Mondelez acquired founder-run premium cookie brand Tate's Bake Shop. And, you know, myself and Rachel, two native New Yorkers, I'm actually native Long Islander and current Long Islander. So Tate's is pretty darn well known for us. But for those who don't know the story, can you share it with our listeners? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a pretty incredible comeback story, as you guys both know. Uh, it's about grit and resilience. You can you can make a movie out of it, if you will. <laughs> and that grit and resilience is really still woven into the company's DNA. You're right. It's founder, it's Catherine King. And she started baking at the tender age of 11. She was selling these delectable and uniquely thin and crispy cookies, calling them Kathleen's cookies at her dad's farm in Southampton, New York. And she continued to do this all through high school and college, working extremely hard. We're talking about 10 to 12 hours while going to school full time. And then later on, when she's about 24, 25, she bought her first bake shop. And it's the bake shop, the actual one that we still know and love today in Southampton. So at this time, we're talking early 80s, and the bake shops become pretty popular locally, and she starts wholesaling caffeine cookies to local and specialty shops. Over the course of the next 10 or 15 years, the bake shop evolves from a local gem to this Hamptons institution, where you're seeing people lining up to buy her incredible baked goods, and now there's distribution of Kathleen's cookies everywhere, and by any measure, it's a success. It's, it's amazing. Fast forward to 1999, she brings in two brothers to help bookkeep and manage her growing business. And then this is where the first big mistake happens. And when I tell you that she split the business into thirds, one for her and the other two thirds for the other brothers, you kind of know where this story ends, right? They take over, the quality declines, they stop paying vendors. And before you know it, they actually fire her and over a court battle, they actually take full ownership of the Kathleen name itself. So decades of her blood, sweat, and tears just gone. And not only gone, she's actually left with $200,000 in debt. And so like these two evil guys just take over and she has to start from scratch, everything. So instead of throwing in the towel, which is what any normal person or I would do, right? <laughs> Kathleen remortgages the big shop and starts the cookie business again from scratch. Now with a new name, Tate's, because that's her dad's name. And of course, you know, Kathleen Cookies is now owned by these two other guys. And at 40, she begins to pound the pavement again, regaining distribution. And of course, her resilience and the undeniable quality of her cookies make her a success again. So Tate's cookies- One second, one second, yeah. one second, one second. So she is like the Taylor Swift she is totally the OG of of a comeback, right? Isn't that amazing? It, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is incredible. It's like her version, her total version of a comeback story. The amazing thing is, one would think that without the Kathleen Cookies name, she would not be as successful. But the opposite happens. She is going back to 
talking head to head with all of the distributors that she lost and they love her story even more. So she gains distribution, she gets even more distribution, the Tate's cookies grow into a cult following, the bake shop is booming, and smarter and wiser, Kathleen now partners with a PE firm and sells for $100 million. So her 59 cent cookies that she was selling on her farm for six now become her golden egg. And then that PE firm grows it a little bit more with the help of Kathleen, and they sell it to Mondelez, the giant, the makers of Oreos and Chips Ahoy for $500 million. Kathleen, if you're listening, you go, girl. That story <laughs> is so inspirational. It's so inspirational. And you can imagine because coming into this brand, I'm now working with so many people who not only saw it, but were part of that journey. There, our master baker, Freddie, was part of that story where he had to go and help Kathleen regain just the power and regain that distribution. And he's still baking our cookies today. So that DNA, when I tell you about resilience and grit, it's still part of who we are as a brand. The legacy of Kathleen still lives in every single one of our cookies. Amazing. It's an incredible story. You've seen a lot of stories in your day. You were at L'Oreal. You then went to Colgate. You then ran Tom's within Colgate. What is it like leading more mass established brands versus an acquisition brand where you're still tied to the founder? And that founder connection is amazing because I'll tell you, I actually spent a couple of days ago talking to Kathleen and be in understanding that DNA is absolutely critical. So leading that acquisition brand takes a different muscle altogether. If you think about it, the very reason that a Colgate acquires a Tom's of Maine or a Mondelez acquires a Tate's is because these brands bring an incremental value to the parent company. That parent company can't make a Tom's of Maine. They can't make a Tate's because that's not in their DNA. So sure, there is this product portfolio that, that hopefully is in the wheelhouse of the parent company, but it's also distinct enough to be incremental. And when we think about an acquisition, we often think about that product portfolio. But culture is where the true incrementality of the value lies. So successfully leading an acquisition brand requires that dogmatic focus on culture, on preservation, on rebuilding, if you will, that culture into newcomers. The question that I often ask myself, whether at Tom's or at Tate's, is how do I continue to keep that DNA, that challenger brand mentality to innovate, to experiment, to be obsessive about the quality, to continue to deliver that super hyper growth. And that's the important balance that I try to strike. How to unleash the power of the culture while trickling the right integration strategy. And I say trickling because that's probably the hardest part to get right. How much integration and when to integrate is absolutely key. It's easy to quickly want to integrate the economies of scale to the new acquisition, but we know how that plays, right? As soon as you do some type of integration, you change the KPIs. Changing the KPIs then turn into changing processes or ways of working. And before you know it, changing culture. So it is absolutely critical when you're leading an acquisition to fully understand that special sauce, if you will, before you're, you're layering in the mayonnaise. You have to understand what makes the brand tick before handing over the keys to the parent company. And so, 
for me, that focus on keeping that challenger brand culture and that spirit of hyper growth and winning because we're smaller and we're more agile is much more different. And the fun behind running an acquisition brand versus a mass brand. And you can tell that I totally like Oh, no, there's no question. You clearly love it. It's so interesting. There are so many stories of failure as it relates to that. Everybody talks to the great story of how Ben and Jerry's retained its culture, but like it was written into the acquisition firm. Absolutely. I think we can all, we can all come up with examples where that just simply does not hold the case. Where do you see your role in almost being like that, that bridge between the- Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Help create empathy between the acquiree and the, and the acquirer. That's exactly it. I see it as a bridge. And a lot of it in the beginning, especially, is being dogmatic and being the defender of the acquiree, right? Truly listening to the people that were there, understanding the success and how it ticks, and being able then to articulate to the parent companies what I tend to do really early on. We've all seen those examples of the big companies acquiring and then quickly wanting to get involved because what they see is the beauty of the gem of the little company and thinking that, well, if I infuse my efficiencies, if I infuse, you know, my ways of working, which at a grander scale can provide better profits, then you could invest that profit into more growth. That's the thinking and it makes sense. However, being able to say yes, but wait, is absolutely critical, right? Being able to help the parent company understand what makes that special brand special then pays off because then you're able to infuse some of that specialness into the parent brand. And the example that I like to give is that Tom's of Maine, you know, they, I think they actually did a great job, meaning Colgate, in holding off and wanting to integrate Tom's of Maine for about 10 years. And what that allowed them to do also was win the trust of Thompson, Maine, win the credibility of the people, and then be able to learn from them and use Thompson, Maine as a test and learn machine in terms of not only product, but also purpose, value, and all of these wonderful things that make sense for Thompson, Maine, that then can be leveraged at Colgate. So again, 100% agree that a role of a leader in the acquiring brand is being that bridge and understanding when to push and when to pull the parent company. So let me just jump one level deeper on this, and uh, then I promise to hand it over back to Rachel. One of the challenges then becomes, how do you use the parent company in the best possible way to achieve the kind of growth? Because nobody hired you to keep the status quo. Right. Um, not that I'm asking you to give away all your strategies, but at the same time, this podcast is called Brave Commerce. What are the brave things you're doing to drive the commerce? Firstly is understanding the value and gift that the parent company can bring to the small company. So I'll give you the example. Mondelez knows how to make cookies in grand scale. We have this great bake shop. We have this great factory. We have these 
amazing Latina women make uh, making cookies all day long. But how do we scale that? And how do we scale that in the right way? So being able to understand the and leverage the hundreds of engineers and smart people that Mondelez have, have trained over the course of its history and being able to ask them, how do we make this cookie? You know, how do we replicate this in other ways is the gift that Mondelez can give to me, right? The gift that I bring, that the, the brand can bring is the how, and then Mondelez can help us understand the what as we expand. But it is, it is important, and I would say that to any leader of an acquiring brand, is that at first you have to be defender of the brand and understand what gift that that parent company can bring to you. The parent company will say, these are the things that we want to do, but you have to pull the gifts and understand what that tension is and how to apply it. I think one of the gifts with Tate's, because I've been following the company essentially my whole life is I remember that it was Love one it. of the, uh, was one of the first sort of CPG, especially in the food space to have a D to C presence. One of the goals is scale growth. How are you thinking about D to C versus, you know, mass omni-channel retail to drive growth? Sure. I mean, you said it right. DTC has been a huge role in our growth vision, especially at the beginning. I'll say that DTC was just a way to get cookies out there beyond New York. Currently, we have a really successful model where you can buy not only our traditional cookies, but we have exclusive product sold through the bake shop only, meaning you can't get a lot of these items at Walmart or at Target or your friendly grocery store. You can only either get it at the bake shop or our DTC site. What that means, obviously, is that it helps us really think through our innovation. And as we expand innovation through DTC, we can see what works, what doesn't work before thinking about it in the mass market, which makes sense. There's another big component to our DTC site, which is gifting. And gifting is an important part for us in two different ways. One, it drives our elevated bake shop acid, and that acid is critical to driving our equity, right? There are only two types of chocolate chip cookies you would ever gift, one that you bake yourselves or ones that you buy from a bake shop, right? So with our DTC, we bake so you don't have to, or Tate's is that bake shop that conveniently is located one click away. And so when somebody gifts you Tate's, it's helping us drive that bake shop equity, if you will. And for us, gifting also means trial. We have such high conversion, as you guys have both said, you know, like if you buy it into a Tate's cookie, it's going to be hard for you not to love it and not to want to buy it again. So gifting provides us that opportunity to really deliver trial. And it's literally the gift that keeps on giving for us. It drives new users that then become loyal buyers. So yeah, DTC is absolutely critical. And I will say that it's going to become even more critical moving forward as we're thinking about innovating, perhaps like what would work, we have to do it through DTC. And, and of course, I'll, I'll tell you that I've heard you speak enough times and heard enough Brave Commerce podcasts enough times to know the power of 1P data. And that's one of the things that we're trying to better understand and, and trying to expand. How do we use our 1P data to accelerate the innovation scale up? and drive media efficiency. So that's the next level of DTC for us, but absolutely critical. And I just know that it's going to continue to be a powerhouse for us. Glad my preaching is sinking in. <laughs> absolutely. You mentioned the Latina bakers who you have had a lot of opportunities to get to know, and you yourself are a Nicaraguan Chinese immigrant. Where does the role of diversity kind of come into this entire equation or is that just like kind of 
sitting off to the side in a nice, happy thing that just naturally exists, which is beautiful in and of itself. I actually think that it's it's beautiful happenstance today that we have these amazing Latina women. And I get to be this Chicaraguan coming in that I'm able to relate to them. But I take that happenstance very seriously, right? I see the labor of love that they put into these cookies and the reason it tastes so delicious. And, you know, we know how it is. Like if you work with love, you taste the love. And here it's both literally and figuratively, right? And so for us, and I'll tell you, and I say my entire leadership team is understanding the immense power that we have and responsibility that we have to serve then our baking community, right? So diversity becomes important to play because as we're thinking about extending our offering and extending where we want to be sold, we recognize that it's a premium cookie, but we also recognize that we can make a premium cookie at different price points with different packages. So diversity comes into play in where we're distributing, how we're distributing and at what price point. And internally it becomes extremely important for us to understand the power of our Latino community because we care for our bakers and we understand their needs are incredibly important for us to deliver the quality. So in terms of diversity and trying to put diversity practices into play, we're not only thinking about consumers in the way that a lot of CPG companies are doing so in in terms of DEI, but we're also thinking about our own very specific community and how we serve them. So it's become a lot more intentional than just having a Latina baking population that just happens to be in the Hamptons. The best part is when it's actually happenstance. So this makes me very mm-hmm. happy. That goes back to the whole point of the culture. It's kind of the way Rachel has built her culture at Besnack. There's a bit of a CIA capability and component that, that exists that you just can't replicate through ERGs, you know? You can't. You've shared so many powerful stories today, but we got one final question for you, which is what's the bravest thing that you've ever done? The bravest thing that I've ever done is saying yes when I really wanted to say no to going and living in Malaysia. And I did that. I lived in Malaysia and worked in Malaysia for years with Colgate. But of course, in the beginning, I was actually living in Switzerland at the time already with my family. We have been abroad for several years and we're ready to come home. And so when the opportunity came and somebody said to me, we'd love for you to help run the Malaysia business and it requires you moving to Malaysia, I was not ready to say yes. I really wanted to say no so far away. I mean, 30-hour flight. It was, our kids were growing. We needed to provide a little bit more roots into their lives. But in talking to people, and especially talking to my husband, he said, you know, let's say yes, because once we get there, we can pull the flag. If we hate it, if we feel like it's too far away, if something happens with our families, we can pull the flag and come back home. But if we say no, we'll never get to go. And so that push to go to Malaysia, which is literally a world away for all of us and from our families, became an amazing gift for me professionally, learning a new culture, obviously, learning about how to service a different group of people. But more importantly for our family, living in a Muslim country, having that opportunity to learn from the Malaysian people was amazing. And the story that I always tell is that my my daughter at that age was going into, I think, either fifth or sixth grade and 
said to me, you know, I'm so happy that I live in Malaysia because when I go home and remember this is back 27, 2017. So there was a Muslim ban happening in the United States. She was able to defend herself. And when people said something about Muslims, she would retort, you know, I live in a Muslim country and I just know how beautiful and kind the people are. Have you ever lived in a Muslim country? And that gift to be able to give to my children is something that I am still so proud of today. So that yes of saying to Malaysia was probably the most important slash bravest thing I've done. And it's been a little bit of a mantra in my life. You know, you can even ask my teams. I say, let's say yes before we say no. If you say yes, you open the door and you can close it later on, right? But if you say no, that door is closed. So saying yes before we say no was helped by my Malaysia trip. I love this. I think that mantra will open your team up to creativity, innovation. Thank you so much for sharing all of your stories with us. Folks, go buy Tate's. Go buy Tate's. They're delicious. And thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming centre stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast. New episodes come out every Tuesday. I do hope to see you there.